Okay. So years ago, I lived in, let's call it a gated community. And there was a, a friend of mine that I met. I think we, uh, we agreed somewhere around four years ago. And this guy really helped me out when it came to working on myself. And it's been a number of years since I ran into him again. And just this weekend, he decided to come through town. And we stopped for lunch. And I said, hey, let's sit down and we're going to record some stuff for my podcast. So uh, disseminate. would really like to think and introduce Tim Holder. Hey, and, <laughs> hey everybody. So this is Tim. Uh, first and foremost, let me say, Tim was in Sling Blade. Yes. Yes, the Sling Blade, the one with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, so like three of my 15 minutes right there. He, what did you have, like two lines? Two, well, I actually had four lines, and Billy Bob, when he cut the scene, cut out half the scene, which included two of my lines. So I only got two lines in the movie. But it was pivotal. It like changed the whole complexion of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but you were in the movie. I and was. That's, that's the big thing. Yes, I still get like residual checks, like for 18 cents and stuff. And yeah, sometimes it's enough for a Happy Meal. <laughs> Almost. Almost, yeah. So Tim and I have known each other for a long time now. We're good friends. And I, I think thought, it's actually been like, I don't know, like 11 years. No. Yeah. Not like 11 years. We've known each other. I haven't seen you in about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like two or three years, but yeah, wow, has it been that long? I know, <laughs> a decade of my life. Oh, geez. So I thought it'd be great to have Tim to come on, and we would talk about some things. Maybe we get some stories from, maybe some stuff that happened on set or whatever. You know, we'll just roll with it, see what you got, and you know, he's got some some stuff he wants to read. He's got a book coming out. Uh, what's the name of the book? And Fractious. And fractious. And fractious. Spell that. Oh, see, okay, it's A N F R A N C T U O U S. Okay. And fractious. It means winding, twisting, turning, curving, like life. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. There couldn't be a better a book title than that. Yes. So. I think it's awesome. So we're gonna, I guess we'll get a couple stories from you. Yeah, sure. And you know, you can do some reading from, I guess, from your book. Yeah, the whole the whole book is um, standalone essays. There's no theme really to the book. It's just either some spiritual stuff or funny stuff or a combination of the two. But most of it's just like stuff that I've gone through in my life, and most of them is hysterical. And so, which I'm happy for. I think, I think we need to laugh more. I think we just all need to laugh more. So some of them are just dumb things that happened in my life or dumb things that I did. Maybe people will learn from my stupidity. So, right. so yeah, we'll see what happens. That's cool. Well, uh, take it away, well, Tim okay, Holder. So, the, so what I actually got the what got what got this going uh, was um, something happened once with me and a squirrel, uh, and I just thought I need to write this down because this is just too bizarre to have actually happened to someone. So I wrote wrote it all down. I uh, posted it on social media and people went crazy about it and said, from that point, they said, you need to be writing a book. You need to put all this stuff in a book because I tell stories about what happened to me. Like, you've got to write these and put them in a book. So I talked to my sister, Jackie, and I said, did you read that story? And she said, yeah. She said, sometimes I don't read them because they're too long. And I know for a fact that when I read these out loud, it doesn't take longer than 10 minutes to read any of them. So you can read any of them in less than 10 minutes. So uh, so she did read that one. And she's like, she said, okay. I'll be back in two hours. So she called me back in two hours and she had a whole blog site set up for me. 
um, and which was really sweet of her. Um, and she kind of she kind of monitored it and took care of it and helped me edit it for a couple of years. And I, I knew it was like a big task for her. So she finally gave me the password to the thing, and so I could do it all myself, which is also a big deal. But then in the meantime, I found an um, an editor who's actually a friend of mine from high school who lives in Spokane, Washington, and she wanted to edit the whole thing. So she lived, she found out what minimum wage was in Arkansas. And that's what she's charging me to edit the thing. And we're almost through editing it. Then it goes to the publisher, which will, you know, I got a really good package. It will have a video. It'll have a website. It's a big deal. It's like an $8,000 package. So it's it's going to be good. But anyway, this first story is like the first one that got it all going. And it's just called the Squirrel Squirrel Story. So I can just, let me just read it? Yeah. I'll read it. Okay. Uh, one bright, crisp autumn morning, I was driving to work. I was talking, not texting on my phone. I looked ahead and saw a squirrel sitting in the road. After living in the country for 16 years, I've become fairly adept at maneuvering around the critters, mostly. So I swerved to miss the adorable little fellow and didn't feel a bump. I was happy. I looked in the rearview mirror to make sure he made it across the road and was running off to scamper and frolic with his squirrely little friends and was horrified to see him break dancing in the road like a trout on hot asphalt. My heart, as usual, when an injured injured animal is concerned, jumped straight into my throat effectively cutting off oxygen to my brain and by extension to any rational decision-making processes. I slammed on the brakes and turned the car around. The only solution, totally abhorrent to me, was to go back and run over him again and put him out of his misery. I'd already gotten misty-eyed, not to mention a bit nauseous. Apparently exhausted from thrashing, he now lay on his side, motionless as I approached. I feared he had already passed into furry nirvana when another car traveling in the opposite direction passed him and he flopped onto his belly, sat up, and stared straight ahead. I let out a pained howl like that sounded not unlike a screech owl being neutered without anesthetic. I parked on the closest dirt crossroad, jumped out of the car, and raced back. He was still sitting there, looking off into the distance, trying to decide whether or not he should go toward the light. Whatever he was thinking, I know he felt like he'd just been at by a beard and crapped off a cliff. I was blubbering as I apologized profusely. And then, for some insane reason, I reached down to see how close I could get. He was obviously in shock. I chose to pat him on the head a little. I then picked him up, carried him back to my car, and set him gingerly on the floorboard between my feet. I turned the car around and drove back two blocks to the veterinary clinic where I worked so Dr. Peck could check him out to see if he would live or not. Slowly and carefully, I parked the car outside the clinic. My next move involved... Once again, care, compassion, and love. As I reached down to pick him up, he miraculously moved from shock to a radical state of distress. This surprising turn of attitude moved me into the same state of bug-eyed panic. He, obviously not as injured as I first suspected, began bolting from ceiling to floor to banging against the windows to door to dashboard to that back dashboard ledge thing, whatever that back dashboard ledge thing is called, shaking more from agitation at this point than distress. And all the while, I was trying to calm both of us down. I reached for him, and he began the leaping again with great abandon. He landed on that back dashboard ledge thing, and I froze. Both of us, very still for a while. A short while. He was glaring at me with an I-will-shank-you look. Okay, sidebar. I think he was actually working with a domestic terrorist cell, and I had, in fact, thwarted his evil world dominance plan from a suicide bombing attempt aimed at destroying our nation's power lines. So I was leaning over the seat, arms stretched out, trying to nab him, when he lurched at me, paws complete with razor-sharp talons outstretched, scratching my face as he passed, landing squarely on my back. So here I was, leaning at my waist over the driver's seat, arms out in front of me, with a squirrel sitting on my back. And he didn't leave. 
he didn't move. He just sat there on my back. I began to jiggle a bit. He stayed. I jiggled more. He didn't budge. So I finally attempted to reach behind me and that's when he dove to the passenger floorboard. I swiftly and with great agility reached down and grabbed his tail. There was a moment of stunned disbelief on his face and I'm sure mine as we both looked at the tuft of fluff left in my grip. And then we both moved our gaze to gape at the plucked carnage that used to be a thick, fuzzy, fluffy tail. I chose to seize the moment, perhaps not the wisest choice of my life. I grabbed again and got hold of his back. I never really appreciated the agility or adroitness of these frisky little nut snatchers until this moment. He, in turn, reached around and sunk his teeth into my index finger, deep, and didn't let go. I raised my hand. He was literally hanging from my finger. I shook my finger three times. With each jiggle, he turned his defiant, furious eyes at me as if to say, that all you got, really? After feeling he had toyed with me long enough, he dropped to the floorboard, dove and hid beneath the passenger seat. I am now bleeding like a stuck pig. I thought if I moved the seat back and forth, it might encourage him to come out. But the seats are, alas, electric and move about a tenth of an inch every 15 to 20 seconds. I finally realized he was secure in his fortress of solitude and wasn't going to budge. I staggered into the clinic, blood coursing down my finger and the side of my face. The whole staff just looked at me with jaws dropped. What happened to you? I just got bit by a squirrel. In my car. Hysterical laughter. No, seriously, what happened? I just got bit by a squirrel in my car. No one could believe it had all actually been done by a squirrel until I took them out to the car and they saw the foul personification of evil now sitting in the passenger seat. After finding a band-aid for my finger, co-worker Jenny and I tried in vain to capture him by placing a portable kennel outside the door. And then, after 20 or so minutes, someone else said, why don't you just back away and let him jump out? Oh yeah, good point. I backed away from the door and watched as he jumped out, plowing into the side of the open door and bolted headfirst into a nearby tree, once again stunned senseless. But he gathered what little dignity he had left and ever so slowly crawled up the tree. After call to my doctor about antibiotics, pain meds, and yes, rabies shots, I eventually healed physically. So if you're ever driving down Canis Road, close to Ferndale, Arkansas, and a precious, adorable, darling little squirrel crosses the road in front of you with a bugged up, disfigured tail, speed up. Or at the very least, call Homeland Security immediately. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of, so that actually happened. It all happened. It all happened just like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my life. So this is the, the story that... That's the story that began, and everyone that read that on social media was like, oh, dude, this is the great. And so they're like reading it out loud to each other, and people were laughing. And so, yeah, it was, it was kind, of, it's kind of fun. It was kind of a good story. And then uh, let me find, I had one in mind, but I think I want to read another. Let me find what a title of it. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. You talk for me. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm far less interesting than Tim, obviously. Well, no. Um, <laughs> what was that story? Keep going. Okay. So, yeah. I've said it at the beginning of the podcast, but I'll say it again. Tim was in Sling Blade. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's true. If that's not important enough to listen, then come on, people. Well. Listen to the stories. These are great. I'm trying to remember what the name of that one was, so I'm, uh, it's, it's really good. But I can, come, I can probably tell that one, just telling it out loud. So, um, I went to a concert. It was a Christian concert at uh, Verizon Arena in Little Rock and it was a big Toby Mac concert it was fun it was really good 
Um, I drove to Benton to ride to the concert with some friends. So I had to ride down this really long road to get there, back road, back from, from my house, which goes straight into Benton, Bryant area. And uh, after the concert, it was about 11 or so, 11.30, got back to the house. I was headed home um, on this long, dark road, pitch black, lots of woods, no houses, very few lights. And um, I came upon a dead deer in the road. And I thought, oh my gosh. So I, I passed it, went around it, passed it, turned the car around, angled my car on the road so the headlights were right at the deer, um, put the lights on bright so I could see really good, and I was just going to drag it off the road. And uh, kind of when I got out, I just kind of leaned the car door against the door so it wouldn't close. And as I was doing that, there was a big white truck coming from the other direction toward the deer, and that was the whole point of my moving it because I was afraid someone was going to hit the deer and mess up their car. They would see it at the last second and go off in the ditch. So I kind of waved at them, got over, pulled the deer off the road, and went back to open my door, and somehow it had slid shut and locked. So here was my car in the middle of nowhere, lights on bright, the inside lights were on, my phone was inside the car, the car was running, and the doors were locked. So this woman rolled down her window at midnight, and I said, okay, so you saw what I was just doing. The deer was dead. I pulled it off the road, and uh, now my car door is locked, and I live like maybe a mile from here. Could you just drive me? It's midnight in the middle of you know the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And um, she, she just kind of looked at me, and I said, I'm, I just came from a concert. I promise I'm not a serial killer. If you just drive me to my house, I've got an extra fob there. I can go in the house and get the fob. And she goes, well, do you do you live with somebody? In other words, she was saying, I'm not driving you back. That's what she was saying. So I said, no, but my neighbors live real close to me, and I'll go wake them up if I need to. So when we drove into my, she gave me the lift, drove home. And when we drove into the driveway, I kind of glanced to my friends that live close to the road. I live back at the back of two and a half acres. You cannot see my house from the road. But uh, Jeremiah was still awake. I could see him in his garage. He was obviously working on something at midnight. So she dropped me off. I ran in, ran to the house, got in the door. The dogs, dogs were going crazy. They had not been outside in hours. Um, grabbed the fob, walked back up the two acres to uh, driveway to Jeremiah's house. And he was still standing there. And I went, here I'm at midnight knocking on his window. And so he was scared to death. And looked out and I was standing there. And I told him what was going on. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take you. But come look at what I'm doing first. I'm going, my car's <laughs> sitting on Congo Road. Locked with the lights on and the window, you know, the, the, the phone is inside it. Someone's going to think either, you know, I've been kidnapped or something. So he showed me his new man cave that he was building at the back of his house. And so I said, dude, I'll explain the whole thing to him. We just got to go. So we got his dog, Pearl. We got in his truck. We drove up there and he had his headlights on facing my car. And I said, okay, you need to just wait one second. Let me go. Make sure that the fob works. I've never used it. So I don't know if the battery's dead. So I got all the... Got out of the car and I went up there and sure enough the battery was dead in the fob. And I was sitting there, I was like going trying to get the fob to work and it wouldn't work. And I, I looked back at his window and I said, "It's the battery's dead. I can't believe it." And he got out and said, "Okay, look, just let me use your phone. I will call my insurance company. They'll send someone out here and unlock the door. You can go ahead and go back home. I'll just stand here and hope that I don't hear, you know, the uh, dueling banjos off in the woods somewhere, which I was totally expecting to happen where I live. So." I was like panicking. I was just panicking. And just so you'll get a picture of the idea, when I worked at a restaurant and I was a waiter there, someone would do something or say something totally stupid and there's no way you could correct them without them feeling like a total idiot. It was like if someone said, yeah, I want the Caesar salad, but I want that with Thousand Island dressing. 
which makes it no longer a Caesar salad. Right. But there's no way you can explain it to him without them looking like an idiot, right? So that was exactly what was going on. Now, I know that that's the way Jeremiah was feeling because what Jeremiah did was he walked up and I said, the battery's dead. The battery's totally dead. He goes, well, you do know that that is a key on the end of that fob right there, right? I was like, Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to just unlock the door and, and go home and be totally embarrassed that I was trying to unlock a dead battery. The key was right there looking at it. It wasn't even a hidden key. It's at the end of the fob. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what my life is like all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah, pretty much. You're not the only one, I promise. I know. <clears throat> I had my car for maybe two months before I realized that the fob had a key in it. Oh, yeah. But it'll only get you, you in the door. It won't start the car. But is yours like like you have to click something, the key pops out? Mm-hmm. See, no, mine's not. Mine's just attached. Here. Well, they're not going to see it, but you are. <laughs> this is the fob. It's like that. And I was trying to push the button. Okay, so y'all can't see it. <laughs> but the key is like, that's the first thing you see when you're looking at the fob is the key. Okay, so let me describe this. It's, it's essentially a key with buttons on the back end of it. The big plastic part that you that you have the unlock and lock and unlock button. So and the key. It's a key with buttons. Yeah. <laughs> it's not okay, so mine mine's get the the keys hidden inside the fob and you've got to And you didn't know it was there. Take the key out and I didn't know it was there because you couldn't see it. But oh my gosh. It's just a key with buttons on okay, it. Okay, I kind of I can give you credit for that one. <laughs> I was just an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's my life. So what else you want to know about me? So, <clears throat> so I'm sure everybody's curious at this point. Hold on, let me turn my levels up. I mean, this is this is the conversation starter. Was the sling blade? So yeah, sling blade. Yeah. So what what brought you to sling blade? Well, I was a, I was like. You know, I lived in Nashville for a whole bunch of years and, and did a lot of theater, did commercials, did a whole bunch of stuff there. And even the critics, even the people that were like, you know, that would come and critique plays and stuff and put it in the newspaper were telling me, it's time for you to go. You've done everything you can do here. You're good enough to go to Los Angeles. So I went to Los Angeles and was there for four years until the Northridge quake in 1994. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of here. And they're like, you're going back where they have tornadoes. And I'm like, I can tell you what block a tornado's on. You know, earthquakes, you just wake up in the middle of them. And this was horrible. This was a bad earthquake. So I left, came home. Uh, one of my friends that I worked with at the restaurant was from Little Rock also. And he said, when you get there, go to this talent agency and tell them that I sent you. So I did. They signed me up. And within five or six months, they had the auditions for Sling Blade. And normally what happens when you do an audition, you go in and they audition you and put, put you on tape and send it back to California. They pick the people that they want for callbacks. Then they come back and do the, you know, and I figured that thought that was what was going on. But I went in for this audition and Billy Bob was there. And so we got to talking and we had friends in common from when I lived in California, in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, I told him, yeah, I was there for the taping, you know, the pilot taping of Hearts of Fire. And he was like, yeah, you were there for the first night, but probably not the second night because that was the Rodney King riots. And I said, yeah, we sat on my balcony and drank margaritas and watched the smoke from the riots coming over the Hollywood sign, which we could see in the distance and smoke was swirling around our, you know, our street lights and stuff. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, so I think that may have been, he had two callbacks from that, me and one other guy, and I ended up getting it. And it was, it was cool. And it was a one night, you know, it was a one night shoot. And I went and uh, a friend of mine and I were carrying my clothes back to the wardrobe room, which was in a house that they had turned a bedroom into a wardrobe room. 
Um, so I was carrying my clothes back there. And there was a guy laying on the floor talking to another girl. And so I stepped across him and he goes, hey, honey. And I thought he was talking to my friend that was with me carrying the clothes. And so I looked back, but it was John Ritter. And he was looking at me. And I said, oh, hey, sweetheart, because I played his significant other, Albert, The Undertaker, in uh, the movie. So, yeah, it was fun working with him. He was a great guy. So funny. Just really, and really helpful. I mean, he was like, he was so great. And I hate that he died because he was such a great human being and a, you know, great actor. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to know what it was like working with Billy Bob. Billy Bob is a consummate professional. I mean, it was amazing. He directed the thing, of course, and wrote it and won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. And um, it was amazing to me because we were, there were like three on one side of the table, three on the other side. And um, uh, just watching him, the way he would work. And I think the thing that amazed me the most was that he would go, okay, let's put the camera over here. Let's do a shot from here. We're going to do, you know, the main shot, uh, which is the one big shot that they take of the whole scene and then they go back and do uh, close-ups um, but he would do all that stuff as the director and then when they said action he was immediately in the character I mean it was it was amazing I, you know he didn't have that whole theatrical you know prima donna attitude of hold on I have to get into the moment I have to know exactly what I'm doing he was just immediately Carl and it was it was a it was really fascinating to watch and he was the man's brilliant he is um has an, I can't understand his memory because I have no memory like that. But you know, I had an audition for another movie that he did, and he walked into the casting room and there were like probably ten guys sitting around waiting to go in for their audition. Um, and he looked right at me and he said, "Hey Tim, how's your mom?" Because we talked about my mom at some point. I don't even remember talking about my mom. How's everybody in Cersei? How are the Bison's doing? Which is the mascot for Harding. He knew that I went to the academy at Harding and went to the college there. And so, um, just how, who remembers that kind of stuff? But he remembered, he remembered everything, and he's just great. So what happened was, after the movie, uh, uh, what happened was when he did that main shot of the, you know, the master shot of the whole table, he went back and did close-ups of everybody except me. He did a close-up doing the scene with everyone except me. And then uh, he cut half the scene out, which cut out two of my lines, so I had two lines. Um, but... Uh, 10 years after the movie was out, um, he uh, did a, I guess it was the 10 year anniversary movie, I guess, but he um, had the doc, had the commentary on it. And, and during that comment, commentary on our scene, he said, he said, yeah, he said, you know, I forgot to do a close up of, of Tim in that, in that film. Uh, he said he did such a great job. He did such an excellent job. I wish we could have seen him more in that. So we went to town with that. I talked to another, a couple of other friends of mine, and we did a short film called Where's My Close-Up, Mr. Thornton, about my life 10 years after the movie as an actor. And if he hadn't cut out half the scene, I would have his career today. And it did really well at festivals. It's called Where's My Close-Up, Mr. Thornton, and it did really good. It won a bunch of awards at festivals and things. And yeah, so it was fun. So it was a great experience. I still get residual checks. Sometimes they're 18 cents. Sometimes they're, you know, $40, which means it's, you know, Zambia got pay-per-view or something. So, so, yeah, it was a great experience. It was really good. I'm glad I got to do it. Well, I, I think it's awesome. And you know, I introduced you to a few people today, and it seemed like I was like, oh, a friend of mine's coming into town. His name's Tim. 
and then we talk a little bit about you and then I'm like oh he was Sling Blade and then immediately the phones come out oh what's his name <laughs> yeah. let me look him yeah. up and I've, and I've got like a side by side of like the screenshot from the movie and your profile picture and I'm like look it's him it's him right here I promise it's him and they're looking at it they're like oh yeah that's him now look here it's IMDB yeah. and look he's in the cast listing I promise this is him look he's in my phone it's Tim Holder <laughs> I promise, I know this guy. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've, we've got to get pictures. So I'm sure... That's hilarious. Everybody that knows that knows, knows you knows... Well, I think you have to be like over 30. Because if I talk to someone that's like in their 20s, they have no memory of, oh, I think I've heard of Sling Blade. You know, you don't think that you're that old, but I am. So, yeah. Especially when someone said, yeah, I, yeah, I think she was born the year that was made. I'm like, oh yeah, now she's talking to me in complete sentences. That bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Well, man, it, I, I'm so glad that I got to spend some time with you today. I am, man, I know I creep you on Facebook, so I know what you're up to your whole <laughs> life, and I've kept up with you, and I'm, I'm glad you're happy and you're doing well, and and you're doing this, and you're living, you're doing a lot of your dreams, and I'm looking around at your walls with all these incredible pictures, you know, on the wall, at your gift. All is your gift, buddy. Thank all you your gift. so much. <laughs> and this is too. I'm really proud of you. We should hear the other two episodes. Yes, I will. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. This is really great. Well, uh, so tell us some more about your book. Uh, the book is called And Fractious. Don't ask me to spell it again. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you really struggled with yeah, it. Yeah, I did. Time. And I should know it. Um, but And Fractious means winding, twisting, turning, curving like life. So it's all standalone essays. Some of them are the funny ones, like I read you. Some of them are strong spiritual things. Some of them are a combination of the two. But... You know, I've got some friends that are on the back. You know, I have no credentials for writing a book. There's no reason why people should say, oh, he's friends with so-and-so. Or, oh, he wrote this. I have none of that. So on the back of the book, is, you know, I've got friends that are saying things like, um, it's the perfect toilet book. Or uh, one of the friends said, um, one of really my good friends from college said, uh, Tim is a light walker, which I really love that. But then he also said, and uh, Tim is the reason why Arkansas leans a little to one side. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then one friend said, uh, Tim makes weird look charming. So <laughs> those, those are my credentials right there for writing a book. That's fair enough. Yeah, it is. It's uh, going to be good. And they're all, standalone, they're all standalone essays, so you can read one of them if you want to read a funny one. If you want to read a spiritual one, you can. It's just whatever you're in the mood for. When is the book supposed to be released? should be out. Man, we're in the editing process. We're getting down to the raw on the editing process. Then it goes to the publisher, and then I get a check-in coordinator. Then I get a design coordinator. Then I get a marketing coordinator, and then I get a printing coordinator. So it's about a six-month process once they get it. I'm hoping to have the editing finished in January. So once they get it, it'll probably be another six months from there. So I'm thinking late July, early August. So it'll be hopefully a good Christmas present. Well, we'll be looking for it. Um, You'll get one for sure. I'll get some links and we'll post it in the description. Mm, absolutely. Um, is there a place that people can find it before it's released? Um, no. Well, a digital no. version? Or do you get a website? I do have a blog site. It's timeholder, timeholderblog.com, timeholderblog.com. And a lot of the essays are on there. They haven't. Those are the ones that have not that I wrote that haven't been edited yet. So right. you'll see mistakes there. But um, yeah, but timeholderblog.com. Spell it one more time. T-I-M-E-H-O-L-D-E-R blog.com. Okay. We'll put some links in the description of this uh, this this week's episode of the podcast. So that way people can find you. Awesome. Perfect. Have, them go, have them go subscribe. You don't have to pay to subscribe. Just subscribe. And, you know, I think, book, I think publishers look at that kind of stuff. So the more people that yeah. actually subscribe to it, looks better for you. Right. Although and, I already have a, you know, I already have a deal. It's still nice to have. Yeah, I do the same thing with the podcasting. I don't, 
you know, it doesn't cost anything to subscribe. The platform I use delivers the audio to every major streaming platform, so the the legwork is out of my hands. That's in the it's in the company's hand that I use. See, that's that's so cool. And it's thought... all free, and ninety percent of those platforms you can listen to anything for free, but with ads, you know. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, sure. But I, you know, I thought I write a book, I send it to them, they do everything, which is so not true. <laughs> I mean, another friend of mine who's an author, she said. Dude, it's the closest you will ever get to giving birth. <laughs> Excuse me. She said, you know, it's like you do all the work. You have to go back and correct it. You have to do all the editing stuff on it. You know, someone sends you the critique and you have to go back and fix everything. Then you have to just work with, you know, like four different people in the publishing c- company. And it's crazy. So once it comes out, you do feel like you've apparently you feel like you've given birth. I don't know. But that's as close as I'll ever get. And I'm, a good, I'm, I'm kind of good with that. Well, again, Tim, thank you for coming. You rock the free world, Rich. Yeah, just don't ask me to spell the name of my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in in case you're wondering, it's called Disseminate. Disseminate. Is it D I or D E? D I. Okay. S E M I N A T E. It's the vowel thing. Yeah, my editor says stuff like, you know, she's saying, okay, there's no antecedent here. I'm like, okay, what's an antecedent? And she goes, okay, this is passive. You need to make it active. I'm like, well, I don't even. Okay, what? What does that mean? What's that mean? Her big thing is that she'll say. Uh, okay, this sentence is 50 words long. You need to go back and cut this into like three sentences. I'm like, yeah. oh man, okay. So it's a process. I mean, it's a real process to be an author, and I had no idea. I hope I hope all authors go through this. I hope I'm not so illiterate. I think I hope I, ho- I hope that I'm not just having good stories, but that I'm actually an okay writer. Yeah. But you know, that it's, there's a lot to it. Well, if, if it's anything like that squirrel story you told us, then I'm sure the rest of it's going to be I great. Be, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. And thanks again, Tim. We'll put your information in the description of this episode of the podcast. Thanks, man. And appreciate you. We're definitely going to have to have you back sometime. I will. You know, I will come. I'm like, I'm only like two hours away from you, so. Well, I could definitely tell there's more stories there's a lot. cracked, you know, trapped in your head, and we got to crack them more. out of there. Yes, there are many more in there. And maybe we can have you back for a later episode, and that'd be great. I'd that'd really awesome, appreciate man. that. Thanks, Rich. Well, thanks for coming, Tim. And. You bet. Make sure you follow the page on Facebook, subscribe on whatever streaming service you use. I know for sure that we're on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and um, Apple Podcasts. I'm fairly certain that we'll be on just about every streaming platform that you would use. So if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, follow, and Let's see if we can make one of these small town podcasts blow up. So if you've got a story that you want to tell, feel free to email me at disseminatepodcast at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-S-E-M-I-N-A-T podcast at gmail.com. Or you can feel free to contact me through the Facebook page at Disseminate Podcast. And I hope that all of you really enjoy what I'm doing here. I'm going to continue doing it until I simply cannot any longer. And like I said, the only way this show is going to go anywhere is if we get support from people following and subscribing. And maybe a few donations later down the road. I'll see you next time.